So we're going to look at Galatians 6. Um, I think you guys start a, a new sermon series next next week. So this is just a standalone um, sermon, and uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it after we pray. So let's pray that God blesses the reading of his word and continues to minister his gifts to us. Let's pray. Father, um, <clears throat> thank you for your word and 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 um, as Derek said earlier, that that when we don't know what to pray or know what to speak and we come in with distractions or we're just numb and we're not even sure where we are, that you just you can give us words to pray and you'll speak back words to us and all of our responses and all of our words are taken up um, into Jesus' beautiful voice and received as if they're a beautiful song to you and, and they become a aroma, a delightful aroma to you, and they bring you great pleasure, not because we mean it so deeply or because we speak so eloquently, but because of Jesus and what he's done. And, and so we thank you for your forgiveness and your assurance of your love for us. And uh, we ask, we plead that, that you will take down any barriers, any resistance in us to the good, to the true, to the beautiful and uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive your love and your wisdom, your power, your comfort, your heart, as you offer it to us by your word and spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what do we preach on today? What do we talk about? We'll, um, we'll talk about boundaries in relationships, that kind of strange, invisible line that kind of divides one person from the other. Um, and we're going to use Galatians 6, 1 through 5 as a prompt. Um, I'm going to read that now. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, so Paul writes the letter to the Galatians to help them get the gospel right, and he spends a lot of time and energy on getting the gospel right, and then he spends a lot of time and energy showing them how the gospel transforms their life together. And in this passage in Galatians 6, he's highlighting how those who are truly believing and resting in the gospel will show it by their love for one another. And that's love, not just like feelings of goodwill or like good intentions, or it's not this kind of generic uh, nebulous love. It's this concrete love that has teeth where we bear each other's burdens, he says. And of course, that requires us to be known and to know others so deeply that we can actually do that. We're actually aware of what people are going through, aware of what they're dealing with, and we come alongside them and bear those burdens with them. But notice at the end of the passage, Paul also says these other instructions. He says, don't be deceived. Don't think you're something when you're nothing. Let each one carry his own load. So Paul's warning about this thing that happens when we start helping people. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I do. You start helping somebody and you start to think, man, I'm helping them. I'm teaching them. They struggle with that. And, and you start to get this sense of self like, man, I'm, I'm something. 
I've got it. I've got it together. And Paul says, don't let that happen. He's warning against that pride that kind of comes up. He says, don't let that happen. He warns against it. He says, each must carry his own load. In other words, you focus on helping other people and you focus on carrying your own load before God. Don't start fixating on other people's loads and saying, man, theirs is a lot worse than mine. They must be making some mistakes. Focus on your own. Focus on your own load. Don't fall prey to that way of thinking, Paul says. Now, like I said, I want to focus on, on relational boundaries, right? And, and Paul is actually dealing with this issue of boundaries and relationships, but it's not necessarily apparent. So let me kind of flesh it out a little bit. Paul shows us that there's a way to go about bearing other people's burdens where we lose sight of ourselves, right? What does he say? He says, we become deceived, right? He mentions the possibility of people thinking too highly of themselves as they help other people. But it could happen negatively too. You could start helping other people and start to say, man, other people don't seem to be struggling with anything that I'm struggling with. I must be a horrible person. I must be really, really immature. So he's dealing with this issue of people losing sight of themselves as they try to help other people. And the point is this, we must bear other people's burdens, Paul says, but we also must be careful not to look to others, to their struggles, to their compliments, whatever it is, to establish our own sense of self, to, def to define who we are, right? We don't look to others and serve others to avoid kind of taking responsibility for being honest about ourselves, as Derek said earlier, telling the truth about ourselves, which can be really hard and really painful. We've got to be aware of that. We've got to remember our own load, right? We need to be responsible for our own load. We shouldn't avoid our own personal responsibility or load or burden by distracting ourselves with others' burdens, right? And that can seem very noble to do, but Paul warns against it. He says, don't lose sight of yourselves. Don't be deceived, right? So we're looking at relational boundaries, knowing where I end and where you begin, right? Knowing when to say yes to to things, when to say no, knowing what's my responsibility to take and what's others' responsibility to take. And there's three points, or no, there's four points. Four points, um, our need, the need for boundaries, our problem with boundaries, the problem beneath the problem, and the solution, okay? So the need for boundaries. First, the need for boundaries. Now, some of us, when we hear boundaries, you may think, you know, there's Joel the counselor again doing his thing, talking about relations and stuff like that, and this is not what we need to be worried about. But let me defend myself for a second. Let me get a little defensive. Okay, this is my chance to do that. I'm not able to do that in other places. Let me do it here. Like, that, you know, Paul, Paul's saying it. Like, he's saying there's boundaries. Beware. You know, he talks about where the body and some are the feet and some are the arms and some are the hands, whatever. There, there are differences, right? And he says, feet, you got to let the feet be the feet, the eyes be the eyes. Feet, you don't try to be the eyes. Eyes, you don't try to be the feet. Right? Now, we're saying we're different. There's boundaries around us. There's things that distinguish us, okay? But boundaries are baked into creation. I mean, God's creative activity in Genesis, if, if, you, if you read Genesis, he creates the world by forming these, he forms these domains and he fills them. He separates light from darkness, the land from the water, you know, the land from the, the heavens from the earth. He's separating, dividing, and then kind of bringing together in this beautiful connection. And of course, the primary way he does that, or not the primary, well, let's say one of the most powerful ways is when he takes woman out of man, these two very different people who, who have this boundary, these different kinds of even skin or bodies, and he brings them together into something beautiful, right? Boundaries all throughout scripture. I mean, Jesus, we, we can think about boundaries and we can say, well, they're just ways of excluding other people, just ways of dividing, of creating distance. But, but boundaries can create beautiful, wonderful intimacy. When, when Jesus is with his disciples and his kind of farewell discourse in, in uh, the gospel of John, he, um, he says, he kind of warns, he gives his disciples a head up, a heads up. He says, look, I'm going to be leaving. And where I go, you can't go. 
There's going to be a great distance between us. He draws this boundary, but then he says, but guess what? When I leave, you're actually going to become more powerful because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He says the distance isn't going to actually, it's, going to, it's actually going to pull us together in this powerful way. I'm going to send you my spirit and you're going to become more powerful. And when we see the disciples in the way they experience the spirit of Jesus, there's this deep intimacy they experience and it powers them and it brings them a kind of courage that they never had when they saw Jesus face to face. This idea that boundaries can actually cultivate intimacy, right? They're not, we don't want to vilify boundaries. Now, let me, let me tackle objections maybe from a different perspective, right? Because again, that's, that's Counselor Joel and he's talking about his stuff. But, but, but we, we have so many more pressing concerns than boundaries and relationships, right? Like we have pride to deal with. We have lust. We have anger. We've got you know, rampant consumerism. We've got, we're, we're riddled with envy or we're riddled, riddled with hate, right? We need to talk about that stuff. Those are the problems that Christians deal with. Now, those sins I just named, I did those on purpose because they form six of the seven capital vices, right? The, this, these, they're, they're referred to as the capital vices because they are traditionally, the church has understood these as the sins or problems or vices from which all other kind of issues or sins or vices flow out of. It's not because they're like, if you do those, you, but that's in some traditions it is. But, but well, the way we're understanding it is they're kind of the heads and then everything flows out of these. And I named six of them. The seventh one, the one that we're less familiar with, that I've talked about before, is sloth. Sloth. And, and sloth actually is a problem of, of boundaries. Now, we think about sloth. I've, I've said this before, but we think about it as just kind of laziness or passivity, right? And that's part of it, but it's, very, it's much more complex than that. And Rebecca DeYoung, in her book on the seven vices, she explains sloth as resisting the obligations of love in our relationships, and sometimes that can look like laziness, like underfunctioning, like passivity, like not doing your part of your responsibility. But sometimes it can look like overfunctioning, right? Because sloth, sloths, human sloths, can actually look very, very busy, very, very active, right? Because it's a failure to honor the obligations of love in full. So a parent who is consumed with their work and can't say no to work obligations inevitably is going to have to compensate somewhere, right? And they're going to compensate in their friendships, or at home with their family. They're not, they're, they're gonna be passive as it relates to their obligations to be a good spouse or a good parent, but they're, man, they're gonna be 100% as it relates to their obligations to be a good employee. And so you see sloth, sloth can look like great over-functioning in certain areas, but then we're under-functioning in others, and sloth becomes the problem of boundaries. You're saying yes to the wrong things. You're saying no to the wrong things. You're taking too little responsibility over here. You're taking way too much responsibility over here, right? You're getting lost in the demands of others. You're losing sight of yourself and what's really yours to carry because you've got these voices over here saying, do this or do that, or it's really going to hurt me if you say no. And we can't deal with that. And so we, sloth is kind of the vice that encapsulates that struggle. And remember, sloth is a capital vice, right? So many other problems flow out of our wrestling with sloth, marriage difficulties, parenting difficulties, failing friendships, right? All due to a failure in the area of responsibility. But depression, anxiety, overwork, burnout, bitterness, resentment, all of those can be symptoms of, of sloth, of boundary problems, okay? So we need healthy boundaries. I just want to defend myself for a second to be to talk about this. We need healthy boundaries. We need to know where our responsibility ends and others begins. We need to know when to say yes and also when to say no. Okay, so let's go to the next point. Next point is our problem with boundaries because 
These are, this is not easy. It's not easy to navigate this. Right, it's not for me. I don't think it is for you either. So let's talk about ways that we struggle with this in, this, uh, in, a, good, in a helpful book on relational boundaries. Henry Cloud and John Townsend talk about five different types of people who struggle. So I just, I'm going to read these out, and I'm curious how you, where you see yourself fitting in. And if you say, oh, Joel, I don't fit in any of those, then talk to me after, and I will help you along with your spouse, your friend, and let you know where you fit in, because I guarantee you, you do. And it's not just, you know, we'll talk about it. So, so the first one is this, all right? Compliance. People who are, who are characterized by compliance. They, this is what Townsend says. They say yes to the bad. They really struggle to say no, even to bad things, right? These are the kinds of people. We, we are these people. We know these people. They don't want to be perceived as selfish or unspiritual or unloving, so they always say yes. All right, I'll do it, right? And they pretend to like things maybe that they don't like because they don't want to rock the boat. When they do assert themselves, when they do kind of stand up, right, on the drive home, they're riddled with this critical conscience that says, you, you know they're all going to hate you now because you told them what you really like. Like they're not going to call you back because they think that restaurant is so stupid, right? That's, the, that's, that's what compliant types of people, they struggle with responsibility in their own way. They're anxious to be accepted, right? They're anxious to be seen as kind and dependable. And so it drives them to say yes to the bad. Okay, compliance. But also there are avoidance, avoidant types of people. That's their next category. They say no to the good. Avoidance care for others very deeply but they're very uncomfortable receiving that same care from other people, right? You know, people like this, have you ever experienced this before? Yes, you have. The book, right, gives this example of people sharing prayer requests. This is a great one, right? Avoidance, they're like, tell me how to pray for you. They go around the circle and they're writing it down. And then it's like, okay, but how can we pray for you? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. And they mean it. I think I'm doing fine. Avoidance often, are, they're, they're very attuned to other people's feelings. They may not be very attuned to their own feelings at all, right? And you can be a combo of the two. You can be compliant avoidance. These are the people who will give you four hours of their time, but they, oh, it's death if they have to ask you for 10 minutes of your time. It's just so hard to be vulnerable about your needs. It's so hard to disclose them, to ask other people to help you. Okay, that's kind of like one side of the picture. Here's the dark side of the picture. The controllers, controllers, they struggle to respect other people's boundaries and limits, right? If compliance say no, uh, controllers can't hear no. When controllers hear no, what they hear is maybe. What you're, you know, you're saying there's a chance. That's, that's, the, that's the controllers, right? They can't, they can't hear no, they hear maybe. And there are two types of controllers. There are aggressive controllers, right? These are the ones... They focus on others, how they've got to change, right? I've, I mean, how they've got to change, okay? Aggressive controllers. Manipulative controllers are a little less honest and forthright, a little more subtle, right? They serve, and, and they serve as a means of putting others in their debt, right? I don't want to have to ask for help, but if I keep serving and keep doing and keep doing, and eventually you'll notice a huge imbalance in our relationship, and you'll start working to kind of fix that, right? Of course, that doesn't always happen. And then we have problems, right? So we've got aggressive controllers, we've got manipulative controllers, and then we have finally, last but not least, non-responsives. Non-responsives don't recognize their responsibility to love, right? When 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 you go to a non-responsive, they they don't hear that you have a need. They hear you have a problem that needs to be fixed, and they will tell you what you need to fix the problem, just like they fixed all their problems. Right? So they don't recognize needs. They don't hear needs. They don't 
They don't recognize the need to endure or be patient or to love. They just say, try harder, get over it. You've got my problems. Or you've got your problems, I've got mine. Okay, so which, which, which are you? And again, you're one of these, or you're many of them. And in, in every area of life, we can be different. That's what's so wonderful isn't the right word, but that's what's so complex about this is that I can be, you know, uh, let's see, is this actually referred to me or not? Sometimes my examples do, and sometimes they don't. Um, yeah, with, my, with your parents, you can be really compliant. I can be, I can be quite compliant, right? With my friends, I might be avoidant sometimes, so I've got to, and then I've got to compensate somewhere, so often at home, I'll be kind of non-responsive. Like, okay, that's great. You know, and you, you know how that works. Yeah, you can look at Allison and she'll, she'll confirm that. So we can, we can take these different roles in different areas of life, just depending. It's funny how it all kind of works to kind of balance each other out. We've got, we do have limits. We can't ultimately live outside our limits and we figure out ways to kind of adjust and compensate so that we can continue living as a compliant over here and avoidant over here or what have you. Okay, so what is the problem? Well, let me talk about a few different kind of issues around our struggle with boundaries. One is that we think boundaries are ungodly and unloving, right? We think you're, you've got to be, you're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be considerate. You're never to deny someone your help. But if you look at Jesus and how he lives his life on earth, he doesn't heal every person that he comes in contact with. There are times where he steals away and prays, and he could be healing. He could be feeding, and he doesn't. He doesn't. There is good he, left, he leaves undone. Right? He lets difficult things remain in people's lives. Later in Galatians 6, Paul says, let everyone, um, he says, like, do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. He draws this kind of boundary around an obligation we have to our church community and then to a lesser extent, but still real, an obligation we have to those outside it. Right? And so this ethic of always saying yes to any opportunity to help, always serving, it, it's not sufficient. It disregards the deep need we have for wisdom, right? It disregards the fact that we are human, that we have limits. It disregards the trade-offs that happen, right? That often when we take extra responsibility over here, we're denying people who we owe responsibility or owe our allegiance over here, okay? So we need a better ethic. But also, um, some of us just feel selfish when we ask for help. We just do. But Paul here says Jesus' law of love is to bear one another's burdens. It's a matter of justice. You can look to others in your church and say, look, I've got burdens and I need your help. It's a matter of justice. It's okay to ask. Paul gives us license not just to ask at times, but to insist, hey, I'm being overlooked. I need help. But three, often in our struggle to maintain boundaries, we think other people are the problem. Right? We're like, man, it's... It's, they're so demanding. They're so needy, right? They just refuse to help themselves. You know, if I don't do it, then no one will. But my friend, I invite you to try actually not doing it. I, I never learned to, uh, this, I mean, this is a small example. I give you more embarrassing ones, but I'm preaching and I can't trust all of you. So I'm, I, I, you know, I never learned to finally put all my dirty clothes in the basket until Allison stopped doing it for me. Like, that's how simple it was. And it wasn't like, well, Allison, that's your fault that Joel wasn't doing it. It's like, no, she drew that boundary. And I finally had to realize, gosh, I'm not living like a grown person. You know, and there were, there may have been, you know, comments that she made on the side that were 
constructive and critical, and they they were they were uh, fitting and 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 right. But still, the point is, is that sometimes we're 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 not letting people feel the weight of their responsibility because we're taking responsibility for them, right? And it's easy to blame other people in other ways too. Controllers and non-responses may say, well, the problem is that you're not listening to me. Just take my advice and everything will be fine, right? But my friend, I invite you to consider that they may not be listening to you because you are not truly listening to them, right? Okay, they are, they may, you may not be conveying a desire truly for their good, but more just for change, right? And those two are subtly different, okay? All right, so sometimes though, number four, Sometimes it's, it's our own kind of understanding around boundaries that's skewed. Um, sometimes we blame other people and we, re we don't recognize that we can make changes as it relates to other people. But finally, we are confused about our roles and responsibilities and what they look like. I mean, uh, so Nate, we're still on number two. Yeah, that was really confusing. Um, so some, we're, gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna move, but I'm gone after this, so I don't care. <laughs> All right, so the, the fourth little issue that we have before we get to the problem with, under the problem is that um, we can be just confused about like what we're supposed to be about, like what our role and responsibility is. You know, okay, I hate it when I talk about your family because everybody, again, they just think there's Joan the counselor doing his thing, but just listen to me, get, just listen. Okay, growing up, you learn how to relate to other people. That's where you learn it. That's where you learn your, how to relate, how to deal with people. Right. And all of us assume roles as we do that. Right? Some of you grew up and you learned kind of your sense of self and relationship. You were the peacemaker. Right. Some of you were like the fix it people. Some of you were the helpers. Some of you were the defenders. You know, others of you learned how to kind of deal by just withdrawing. It's like kind of checking out. All right. So we learn that and we carry those same patterns of relating into our existing relationships. Right? And of course, you know, those roles are too simple. Like they don't quite account for. Reality as it is, sometimes we need to be fixers. Sometimes we need to insert a little bit more distance. We need to allow for some conflict. We need to allow people to feel not fixed sometimes. And that can be really hard for certain of us. Sometimes we need to be defenders. And other times we need, just need to be patient. We kind of need to, it's going to feel like passivity to us. We just need to wait, right? We have to learn that wisdom. And it can be hard um, to navigate that. And it can be hard to draw the boundaries to say yes when we need to say yes or no when we need to say no. Okay, but there's a problem underneath the problem. Moving on. Number three, problem underneath the problem, and that is uh, pride. Uh, Paul says this. He says, if anyone thinks he has something, he has nothing. He deceives himself. So Paul warns against this prideful impulse that wants to take a situation and use it to build up this false sense of self. We want to feel like somebody. We want to feel like something. We want, to, we, want, we want people to see us, right? This pride and, and, and boundary problems often are problems of, of saying yes and saying no, of, of navigating and honoring where we end and where others begin. That, that problem is often due to pride. It's inflation. That's how the Bible talks about pride. That's not, the Bible talks about pride as being puffed up, but we talk about inflation, this false sense of self. We're bigger than we, than we really are. Now, you think about people like controllers or non-responsives, and pride's pretty obvious, right? They have this kind of elevated view of themselves, and they make it pretty clear, like, people should be listening to me. That's the problem. That's why we have all these problems, that people aren't listening to me. 
people should help themselves and that's their problem. I know everybody's problems, right? So we, we can see it, the pride in, in those kinds of people. The compliance and the avoidance are puffed up too though, just as puffed up, but just in a different way. It's more subtle, it's more, hmm, it's, 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 it's maybe not quite as repulsive to us, at least to our culture. But compliance, what are they saying? Compliant people. They're saying, I'll do more. I'll stay later than everybody else. I'll become whatever you need to be, right? And they do it all with a smile. It's no problem. No, it's not a problem. I'm not tired. No, I'm fine, right? But inside, like, what's happening? Like, what's the message, right? The message is that they're, they're, they're implying that they're so much stronger than they really are. It's a kind of puffed up view of themselves that they don't have limits that they need to honor. I don't really, I don't really ever get tired, but they do, right? They do. It's this inflated view of self. Functionally, they behave like everybody would fall apart if they, if they weren't doing what they were doing. That's inflation, right? That's a puffed up view of themselves. Compliance can be very puffed up. So can avoidance. Avoidance. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. You know, God has been so good to me. I'm so well taken care of. Okay. Maybe that's true. But often they're denying their needs, right? They're denying their weakness. They're denying that they do depend on other people. They do need other people. They're pretending as if they are independent, self-sufficient. They really don't need anybody else. It's subtle, but it's still puffed up, you see. It's still just as puffed up as the controller or the avoidant. It's just a little gentler in the puffed upness. You know, maybe not puffed up quite as tight, but they're still puffed up. All right, so the truth is, Internally, we're all kind of puffing ourselves up. Compliant, avoidant, controller, non-responsive, whatever it might be, right? Boundary problems are problems of inflation. We walk around thinking that we're somebody and everybody just needs to make room for us. Inevitably, we're gonna encroach on other people. We're, gonna, we're not gonna honor them. Or we walk around trying to become and feel like we're somebody. And we puff ourselves up in that way. And in the same way, we actually encroach on other people. We handicap them and don't let them feel the weight of their responsibility. It's just, it's just as much an act of dishonor to, to overfunction in people's lives. And parents see it all the time. And kids, if you do everything for your children, it's not good for them. It handicaps them. It will break them. And it sets them up for a horrible life. All because we thought we were loving and sacrificing. But deep down... We feel secure that, oh, we're a good parent. We feel like somebody when we do that. We don't want people to be upset with us, and so we puff ourselves up and act like we don't have any limits. It's inflation. But the inflation, as you can kind of already discern, it's getting it, it's covering something, right? It's covering this deep fear that we all have, right? Because you think about it, puffing up, like think about animals that puff themselves up. I guess the there's like a puffer fish that does this. That'd be the most obvious example. But think about like a, a cat, right? A cat arches its back and its fur goes way out. And it does that when it's afraid, right? When it's under threat, right? You know, a, a, you know, a, a bull shakes, shakes around and stomps the dust and makes all these noises because they're threatened, because they're afraid. We puff ourselves up because of our fear. All of these categories are, are motivated or driven by fear. Compliance, fear, disappointing others. They fear being rejected. Avoidance, fear, trusting others, letting other people know their needs because then you might use their weakness against them. Controllers, fear, being encumbered by others, being constrained by the limits of others. Non-responsives, fear, admitting that they too have weaknesses like everybody else and they don't quite know how to fix them. They don't quite know what to do with them. All of them, all of us, driven by this fear. 
right? And those, those are scary things, exclusion, rejection, being, you know, sharing your heart with some, if, if you've ever, I mean, so, so much of this is, it's a learned fear because of what you know, because of the pains you've experienced. Many of you are avoidant because you're trying to provide for other people the care that you never had, right? Many of you are controlling because you know what it's like when you don't take control, things fall apart. You've learned that. Many of you have felt the hurt of sharing your heart with somebody, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, and having that blow up in your face and you're never gonna do it again. So I don't mean to discount the fear that we can feel. It can be very deep, very deep, but there is a solution, right? There is a solution and that's the gospel. The gospel is the good, that's number four. The gospel is the good news um, for the proud, for the puffed up. First, the gospel frees us to own our inflation. That's difficult for some of us because we thought we were really humble and sacrificial, but deep down it's self-serving and it's a little manipulative if we're honest. And we are keeping a record and we are resenting people who don't pull their weight. All right? It's hard to admit that. It's embarrassing to admit that. But the gospel doesn't just say, you know, you know, grovel before God, you know, come to him and he will deflate you and make you into nothing. The gospel says that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, right? This perfect life, if you look at Jesus, go back and read his life in the gospels. Oh, it's this beautiful life of saying yes, but also saying some really concrete no's, right? Of taking responsibility, the full responsibility of what it is of what's his to take, but also letting other people feel their responsibility. He navigated this relational boundary with such beauty, and he did it for you, right? He, did, he goes to the cross for you. you go, on the cross, he becomes nothing for you. He, he is deflated to nothing for you, and why? Why does it do that? It's not just so you'll feel sorry for him, right? And it's not just so that you'll kind of follow his example, as beautiful as it may be. He does it to defeat death. Right, because death is the great specter that's looming large in all of our hearts. Every fear we have, every struggle to say no, every struggle to bear other people's burdens, every struggle we have to endure other people's burdens, our struggle to be honest or vulnerable, it's because in all those cases, it, it can be like a little taste of death. We fear the diminishment, the insignificance, the judgment that may come of it. We fear those things. But Jesus comes to defeat death. He comes to conquer our fear of death. And he does that by making death a slave to new life. Right? The resurrection. Death becomes a servant to a new, beautiful kind of life. Right? So in other words, we, we don't have to fear those moments of tension with others or loss or conflict or uncertainty. Those moments, other people, they don't define us anymore. Right? And, they, and they cannot take from us what is ours in Jesus. They cannot strike at who you are. Ultimately, if the resurrection is true and God's promises are true, they can, those moments of difficulty can only add to who we are, can only make us beautiful people. And the thing is, is that in, in Jesus, our worth is already secured. And that's the thing is you've got to, in, in these moments, if we're going to honor one another as people, we have to know who we are. We have to know our worth. So much of our problem is this fear of having to face our weakness, our insignificance, our flaws. Some of us were over-functioners and we struggle to say no. We struggle to let other people help us. We struggle. Oh, it can be as simple as just 
ending a phone conversation. Have you ever struggled with that? Just saying, I've got to go because the kids are going crazy. But we stay on the line because it's so hard to say, I, I can't talk anymore. It can be so hard because in that moment, we feel like it's this little judgment we have to face and they may be upset with us. And there's a sense that we won't be able to survive. And Jesus is like, you got to remember who you are. Like you, he, Compliance, avoidance, controllers, whatever it may be. Jesus is like, to hell with all of that. You see what I've done for you and remember who you are because of it, right? You've got to know your worth. Think about it. If you're the president, if you're the president, if you're the CEO of whatever, if you're the expert in your field, you're the top athlete in your sport, you're the most beautiful person, whatever it may be that you know your heart's kind of drawn to, my guess is it wouldn't be so hard to turn other people down. It just wouldn't. You would be able to say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it to that. As you know, I'm the president of the United States. I have lots of responsibilities. So, you know, if you've got a problem with that, I'm sorry. I think each of you could imagine that. And why? It's because you know your worth. And they do too. There's no question about who you are and what you're worth. Right? God created the universe. And God knows who you are. And he knows he's certain of your worth because he gave it to you. And he preserves it with the life of his son. You are kings and queens. Not compliance and avoidance. You're kings and queens, so you can say no now. You will survive disappointing other people. I promise you it will not kill you. In fact, it can actually make you stronger. It can actually make the other person stronger. It can make a, a beautiful relationship, actually, when you start to draw those boundaries. Other, others of us are under-functioners. We're not doing too much. and In some areas, we're doing way too little. Right? We much prefer other people to help us. We struggle to say yes when opportunities arise to give help. And the reason is because we think it's going to kill us. Like, oh, it's going to exhaust me. I just can't do it. Right? You need to remember, you are a king. You are a queen. Like you're sitting at this feast and you're eating it alone. And that's why you're probably a little depressed or a little bored or a little numb because you've got all this stuff and you're not letting anybody into it. You're a king or queen. Let people in. Okay, others of us struggle to endure limits. The limits of others, the weaknesses of others. We don't like hearing no from others. Often, not only do we think we know best, but we might. We might actually know what's good for other people and we're right about it. But it's not just about being right. We are kings and queens, but we are prophets and prophetesses, right, in Jesus. We are priests and priestesses. We bring order and truth, but also joy and celebration. We need to live out the fullness of our role in Jesus. Sometimes that means letting loose ends stay loose. And sometimes it means enduring weaknesses. All right, so the gospel is the good news that Jesus has defeated death. And in defeating death, he has conquered all fear. Fear of loss, rejection, diminishment, weakness, uncertainty, lack of control, all fear. He has given you a new identity, a new role. And by living out that role, if you do it well, it will mean saying yes. Some of you, much more yes than you have said. For some of you, it will be saying a lot more no than you have said. But you're going to do it in this way that lives out who you truly are as kings and queens of a new creation. You're going to do it in a way that as you establish these boundaries, just like God does in, in Genesis, it brings flourishing and thriving. Not division, it doesn't have to, not conflict, but mutual honor. Mutual recognition where you see somebody different than you and you delight in that person in their difference. That's what the gospel could do for us. Now, 
uh, probably already too long, but let me address something. And that's that you're probably like, Joel, whatever, this is great, but, or maybe not so great, whatever. But here's the thing, you're gonna like, Joel, give me some, give me some practical steps, some action items. My problem is that I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to say these things to other people. And I'll submit to you, that's probably not your problem, actually. It's not usually. Usually it's that you feel such fear in those moments that you lose your sense of thought altogether, pretty much. You get so defensive that you can't think clearly. And so I'd encourage you, don't rush to practical steps. Rush to understand your fear and how it drives you and how it controls you. What is it you're so afraid of happening? If you say, I gotta go, I'm gonna hang up the phone now, and you actually do it. Like after you hang up the phone, like what do you think is going to happen? It's not going to be as bad as you think, probably, right? And it's not going to be as bad as you think if you let if you endure some weakness, one day, and then the next, and you're still there, you're still alive. It, it's your fear holding you back. Know your fear. Get to know your fear and ask: Are you living out your role as a king or queen? But let me throw in one concrete little thing you can do. If you struggle to say no to somebody, tell them about your struggle. Hey, sometimes in our, I, I struggle to hang up the phone because I'm afraid you're going to get mad at me. Do that. There's your concrete step. Now, I guarantee you, if you struggle with that, the first thing you feel when I say that is fear. We're right back at the fear. Deal with your fear. Get to know your fear. Okay? But if you struggle with it, tell them. And see what happens and be open to them saying, oh, it's funny because sometimes I struggle with something very similar with you. Mm. Now we're going somewhere. And I'm telling you, those kinds of conversations can be the grounds of something beautiful happening in relationships when you're honest with each other. Because that mutual recognition happens and you delight in each other as real people. So that's what the gospel can do. Okay? So, uh, yeah, as we come to the table... This is very hard to do, and it takes lots of wisdom. It takes lots of insight from others. And I'll just say, bring your fear to the table with you and let God redeem it, redeem it and transform it into a beautiful courage. Um, this is a simple meal. Not very impressive. But it's, 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 it's what God intends for kings and queens. Come up here believing that's who you are. Come up here standing up tall in your role as a king or queen. Come up here reaching to discern within you the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus in you, who will empower you to live as he's called you to live. If that's who you want to become, that kind of person, then I invite you to come to the table and learn wisdom as Jesus teaches it. Okay, so let's pray, because I know the kids, I think the kids are waiting. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you that, um, that you honor us. Uh, you don't come to us and say we've got to be perfect like Jesus to be loved by you. you. You know we're much too weak for that. So you send your son, and he's perfect in our place. And you don't come to us and say, you need to be just like Jesus now. You need to learn Aramaic and do all these incredible miracles. But you, you give each of us a mission. You fit each of us with a ministry in this church community. And you call us to live it out. And you call us to respect others and their ministries and their mission. 
We need, we need power and wisdom to know how to do that. We need power and wisdom to know how to order our relationships like you order the universe. Each thing in its place so that there's beautiful thriving and flourishing. We need wisdom to do that. We need endurance to do it. We need humility to do it. It's not always easy and sometimes very painful. You give us all of that at the table. So let us open our hands, our mouths, our hearts to the gifts that you offer us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.